Um, all right, grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians. It's the tenth book in the New Testament, so it's way in the back um, in comparison to the whole Bible. Um, after the Gospels, about right there in mine. Um, you'll need a Bible. You always need a Bible. Uh, sometimes we have a lot of the verses on the screen. Sometimes we don't. So uh, that is not to tease you or make your life difficult. That's because I want you to have a Bible. Uh, we provide they're back there in English and Spanish, uh, even some different translations. I just want you to have his word. It's important that you walk out with it and not just what I had to say. So um, what we started into with Ephesians, we're calling true Christianity. That's kind of the series that we're calling this thing. And again, uh, there's a lot of ideas. We looked at this last week. There's a lot of ideas about what it means to be a Christian, about what Christian really means. Lots of ideas about that. Um, Christian, first of all, is not a behavior. So, so let's take that out. Being Christian is not a behavior. Being Christian is being somebody. It's a person. It's being created in a new image, and the behavior should align with the fact that you are now a Christian. So Christian is not just an attitude. And we're going to continue to look at Ephesians for what a Christian really means. It's like in that video earlier that we just watched, a young adult in a children's class. One of the reasons why there's so many schisms in the church today over what Christian really means is because the lack of spiritual growth through discipleship. Um, It's easier just to ignore things that require thought. It's easier just to pass over things that might require study. Or that might be heavy or might be complicated or, man, it's divisive. You know, it, it, it's easier to look, let, turn the page than to correct behavior or correct beliefs even. So we're going to look at some of that today. Today's title is Unconditional Adoption. Um, and if you know anything about this passage, you'll know why I named it that. But we're going to lay into this pretty heavy today and talk through it. I'm not going to pretend like it's not a heavy topic, but I'm also not afraid of it because it's God's word. It's another reason why I want you to have his word in your hands, because then you can go argue with it. You don't have to argue with me. Um, have you ever heard Christian cuss words? <laughs> uh, there's words. Um, I grew up in church as a young boy. I got way out of the church and ran, ran around crazy for a decade and a half. But then I got back in the church in my late 20s. And even then, there were still those cuss words. Uh, Calvin. Calvinism was one of those cuss words. Predestination, one of those cuss words. Chosen, one of those cuss words. Uh, you know, election. And I remember being in church, even as an adult hearing them, just like I did as a kid. They're words we never say in church. Why? Because they're inflammatory. Because they're divisive. Um, I'll never forget the first time I heard a pastor, the pastor at the church where I met my wife, um, who is very anti-Calvin, quote Calvin uh, from a commentary. And I thought, what? Can you do that? Like, isn't he the devil? Like, how are you How are you choosing to quote Calvin? Um, I remember the first time that I saw these cuss words were in the Bible. Now, Calvin's not, but, you know, predestination. He's like, they're in the Bible. They're there. Like, oh my gosh, it's the exact word. Not only that, even worse, words we cherish like love, like eternal security, like adoption. These words are interwoven with those same exact words. They're here. Dallas Willard, he's a theologian and a preacher, and he said, 
we have a problem. We're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. We will preach to you for an hour that you can do nothing to be saved, but then we'll sing to you for 45 minutes and beg you to do something to be saved. Uh, And so that brings me kind of to the point today. Uh, This is just my one point, my flag in the ground that's going to kind of keep us grounded around this text. And it's not scripture, it's just me. But as a Christian, we've been adopted and given blessings that should cause us to praise God for his grace rather than arguing over how he accomplished it. Okay? As a Christian, we've been adopted and given blessings that should cause us to praise God for his grace rather than arguing over how he accomplished it. So, uh, nonetheless, the argument goes on. Nonetheless, the fight goes on. And maybe you're here and you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, let me give you a quick two seconds of church history. Um, John Calvin was a theologian in the early 1500s who kind of established a biblical argument for the sovereignty of God in Scripture through in salvation. He established this kind of biblical framework to argue how God saves sovereignly in Scripture. Uh, Joseph Arminius, in the late 1500s, so on the back end of Calvin's life, attempted to contradict Calvin and argued for man's responsibility in salvation. Uh, that was, what, 400-plus years ago. The churches are still splitting over this today fighting over it. In 1618, right on the back end of that, in 1618, a council of global churches, really, for what it's worth, decided that Arminius was wrong, and they stood by Calvin on the scriptures. Uh, But that ain't where it started. Y'all like that? Ain't? Can't get the south out of me sometimes. It's still there. That's that's not where it started. If you you back up over a thousand years before this, Augustine, commonly referred to as St. Augustine nowadays, but Augustine was in the same line of thinking as Calvin would be way later on sovereignty. And a man by the name of Pelagius was in the same category uh, as where Arminius would find himself thousand-plus years later. Uh, Pelagius, by the way, is where we get the term plagiarism. And... It's no surprise that then the churches discredited Pelagius and sided with Augustine for the most part. But that's not where it started either. You can back up a little bit farther. And Paul argued for sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both. And then you can back up a little farther than that. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus did the same thing. What's the point? Here's the point. There's no small chance we're fixing to resolve this in a 35, 40-minute sermon. (laughs) It's not going to happen. We can mine it because it's in the Bible, but we're not going to solve it. But I can tell you this right now. The trick to this whole thing, the peace in this whole thing is stay in the Bible and stay with what the Bible says where it says what it says. And don't try to fit the Bible into this perfect logic box. That's the struggle. Don't don't try to force it into this perfect little box of logic. So the sad thing about this, what we're looking at today, is that it's become this dark, complicated topic. That I'm having to give you this story of thousands of years of argumentative history in the church. It's become this dark and complicated and hard thing. And the sad part is Paul wrote this as a celebration 
I mean, he in Greek, this is literally written like a poem. It's almost like Paul is singing a song of praise, like he's so excited. The theology in here is unreal. I mean, it's so deep. But this is not some dry seminary class. This is a man who is exploding with joy, like probably even in tears. He's so excited over what he reads here. So let me read it to you really quick. I know um, it was read earlier. Uh, Cameron got up here and gave it to us, but let me read it again. Verse 1 or, or verse 3 and, and just hear it out. And I know it's, it's, it's heavy, but hear it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him or in his presence. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Some quick observations, and this is why I read it first. There's some serious run-on sentences here. Uh, if, if you're a grammar person, this is probably making you itch all over. In fact, the whole first four, or the 14 verses from 3 to about 14 are all really, in Greek, one sentence for the most part. And the reason why is because, again, it's written like a poem. It's written poetically. Uh, we're plugging the periods and stuff in there and trying to sort the sentences out. Um, and another thing before we break this down, look at the tense of the actions, the tense of the verbs. Blessed, has blessed, chosen, before foundation, pre- predestined, love it or not. These are unconditional terms. You know how I know they're unconditional terms? Because they already happened. They're past tense. Can't be on any condition. They're unconditional terms. They already occurred. Paul says he, he's already done that. It's already finished. And, and that's all in Scripture. Paul's full with it. Romans 5, 1, while, while we were yet sinners, or 5, 7, excuse me, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, or 5, 8, 5, 8, right? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 8, 1 that I was mixing up there, 8, 1, this says, there is therefore now no condemnation for Christ for us because of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, while we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. Things is, he's already done it. Even in our condition, it's something that he, he's already done. So God's actions here are in Christ. You see how many times that, that phrase is listed in there? In Christ, in him, before him, to him, through Jesus Christ. This is the work of God alone. In the person of the Father and Son. And Paul will talk about the Holy Spirit before he's finished. It will come later in this same passage, what role he plays. But these verses read kind of like a sandwich. So we're going to look at it that way. Like you got the meat in the middle and it's bookended by two pieces of bread. And the two pieces of bread are verses 3 and 6. And that's kind of what he's done for us. If you're a Christian in this room, as Christians, it's what he's done for us. And that bookends... Four and five, which is how he accomplished that for us. That's why we're going to kind of pull it apart. So first, let's look at what he's accomplished for us. Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he 
has blessed us in the beloved. You see that has blessed us twice? This whole thing's wrapped in blessing. Like there's there's nothing negative here. There's nothing bad here. It's like a it's a shout of praise. It's a shout of excitement. Like it's humbling because the extent that grace has gone to. But it's also uplifting. Like your head is down like, God, how could you love me? But then at the same time, he lifts your head and he says, because you're my child. It's head lifting because it also tells us that we are children of God. God being the God of Jesus here is funny. I don't know if you caught that, but I'm not going to ignore it. That's a strange little phrase in there. When it says the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, is he the God of Jesus? Some people would argue that he is. Some other faiths, again, what does it mean to be Christian? Who do you say that Jesus is? Um, so there's some argument that would come out of others that, well, here clearly Jesus has, but that's not what's going on here. Jesus is not less than God because he's referring to God in this way. And as Paul's saying it anyway, but who we call God is the same person that Jesus calls God and is that God. But Jesus, as Philippians says, humbled himself, became a man set aside his rights and authority rights as God and became the son of man and the son of God both and during that time aligned with man uh, he he used that language this god that you call god my god too you know why cuz it's me uh and he respected the father he spoke to the father as independent as being dependent on the father Uh, One pastor put it like this. He said, he, God, is God to our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus became man. And as son of man, he looks up to the father as his God. He, God, is also father of our Lord Jesus Christ because God is also God the son from all eternity. So does that hurt your head? Okay, no, no problem. Don't sweat it. It's fine. You can't explain God. This is another thing that you're not going to be able to do. But it's okay. You can know him. You can know him well. I've used the analogy many times. I cannot explain my wife. I love her with all my heart. But every time I think I get her figured out, she does something that surprises me. So uh, that's a good thing most of the time. But God is infinitely more than my wife. So learning to know him, learning to understand him is going to be something that that we can gain daily. But he's always going to be more than we can get our head around. It says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That means it's complete. You already got them all. If you're a Christian in the room, you, if you've given your life to Christ, you already got them all. The only question is, how much of it are you accessing in your life? And we think, well, we're earning these blessings from God during our life. No, you're not. Not according to Scripture. You already have them. The question is, are you accessing them? Do they matter to you? Are you doing anything? It's like having an inheritance, but choosing to live in poverty. It didn't go anywhere. It's still there. You have it. It belongs to you, but you, you choose to live poor instead. It's not, and he's not talking about money here. He's talking about what's ours in Christ. So what's ours in Christ? Forgiveness? For sure. Some of y'all can't forgive yourself. I don't know. For what? But I just know that's a common thing. Struggle with forgiveness. You already have forgiveness. If you're in Christ, you have forgiveness from him. 
If he forgives you, goodness can't you forgive yourself. Whatever it is. Uh, we could go straight down the line. Righteousness, grace. You have grace, which means you are able to give grace. We could go straight down the line. You have peace, which means you're able to give peace and live in peace. You have joy. These are all things that are in Christ. You have the love of God. How much does God the Father love the Son? You have that. Feel unloved, feel lonely, feel like you're the only one, feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. If you're a Christian, that should not be the case. You need to access what's already yours, and that's the love of God. Not Quit trying to earn them. Just possess them. If you're a believer, we need to appropriate them, put them to work in your life. That's what that means. They're there. Lay hold of them. Put them to work in your life. He says that every spiritual blessing, he says, in heavenly places. Well, what is that? Well, that's not really as complicated as it sounds. It just means that it's in Christ. It's it's not with Christ. It's in Christ. So Christ is with the Father in heavenly places in that sense. And it is with him. But we are in him. He is king of heaven and all creation, which means... That our spiritual blessings are tied up in our relationship with Jesus. And you access them through Christ, even though they are a heavenly thing. That's also beautiful because it means when you appropriate those things, it affects heaven too. When you show the love of the Father, it affects heaven too. When you show the peace of God, it affects heaven too. You know, there's a verse in there that says that the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. That means it's affecting heaven, you know. Um, When we take these spiritual blessings and we appropriate what's already ours in heaven, we put them to work through Christ, then others see the kingdom. And that's what being a true Christian means. That That's that's what being a true Christian means. He says, in the beloved there, that in that other Back half of verse 6, he says, in the beloved. Um, that just means in Christ. Christ is referred to in multiple places in Scripture as the beloved son or the beloved. So it's just another way of saying in Christ there. So, Christian, here's the question. Does God accept you right now? Exactly the way you are right now. I don't care what you did when you walked in the building. I don't care what your mind just drifted off to a minute ago. Does God accept you Right now? The answer is yes. A hundred percent. Because he made you accepted in Christ. That's what this is about. To the praise of one thing. It's in verse six. His glorious grace. That's it. Listen to me. If you can't praise God for his grace, I can't give you another reason. I really can't. I mean, that's as good as it gets. So that brings us to the meat in the middle. So how did he accomplish these things that we just described for us? How did he make these things so? What is grace? Well, here it is. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, in, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So once again, let me remind you, for Paul, this was not something he was struggling with. It was not a battle for him. This was something he was celebrating. 
This was something that he was praising God for. If you don't know where Paul came from, go back and look how Paul became a Christian. It's in your Bible. It's in Acts. Go back and look at how Paul became a Christian, and you'll understand why he didn't struggle with this at all. Uh, first thing that comes to my mind here as I read this, and just, this is just me, first thing that comes to my mind as I read this, if he determined that I would live and that I would belong to him out of love before the world's birth, then he waited for me. I mean, just think about that a minute now. He he waited for me. You know? And we all want Jesus to come again, and I do too, really bad. We want the end. Is it, are we in the end times? Is it the end times? We want the end so bad, and, I, and me too. I mean, I understand. I, I understand that. I'm not playing that down at all. But, man, who might he be waiting for? You got a family member that's lost? You got a family, somebody you love who doesn't love God, doesn't know Jesus? Maybe he's waiting on them. I don't know. But I think, man, was I'm not worth waiting for. Especially not a holy God. But he says I am. But let's look at the cuss words really quick. And, and I, I promise we, we don't have a whole lot more, but we'll just look at them quickly. So predestined, let's spit it out there right in the middle, predestined. Um, first of all, that's not the only time this word's used in the Bible. It's used in the Bible a few times. Um, but the principle of that is all over the Bible. Uh, I could give you multiple places, but we could go back and take Adam. I mean, we go all the way back and take Abraham. Abraham had children by a barren wife at 90. That was God said, no, it's going to be me that does this supernaturally. Uh, Jacob and Esau, God chose the Jacob. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of ways we could go down and point out this principle being there uh, throughout all of Scripture. But it means to determine beforehand. I mean, I don't care how you, how you feel about it. It's, I'm not here to try to make it palatable. I'm just here to tell you what it says, okay? So it means to determine beforehand. And it's not complicated. It's just hard to accept. It's not complicated at all, really. It's just hard to accept. We, 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 we wrestle with it, and we start trying to figure out, okay, well, it can't mean that. Well, it can't mean that. Well, it can't mean, why can't it? Does it make you uncomfortable? Does it make you feel like your heart's starting to beat harder? Does it make you feel like that's not what I heard as a kid? Does it make you feel like God wouldn't do that, or God doesn't do that? Or what, what, is it, what does it do? Or, or can you just step back and say, man, okay, it means what it says. It means to determine beforehand, and it is especially unique when it comes to finding our role in salvation, and that's largely what it's applied to. But here Paul says that this salvation is according to the purpose of his God's will. We just read it. According to the purpose of God's will. And we say Jesus can save. Only Jesus can save. We say that all the time, right? Only Jesus can save, and that's true. But we also want to believe that we had some part in it. Like, I still had to repent and believe. Yes, you did. Yes, you do. But salvation is by adoption. And that comes from the Father through the work of the Son, according to this text, before you were even born. So are you confused? It's okay. You can be honest. Uh, 
my favorite show of all time. I've probably used it in an illustration or two over the years is Lost. Um, it's been, it was on back in the, uh, 2000, early 2000s in those years. But, um, this show would have you week after week after week think you know what's going on and then throw you for a curve again right at the end. And you'd have to come back next week because you'd be like, okay, I'm lost again. Literally the, the title. And then you'd figure it out. You'd think you had it figured out. And like, not just the episode, but the big picture. Like, okay, what do they do? What's going on? You think you have it figured out. And, and they keep bringing these mysteries in that make it so much deeper and so much richer. And man, I get hooked on that stuff really easily. And so I, I was latched on this. The whole world was at the time. Um, and everybody's thinking the same thing. After how many seasons? I don't remember, Mo. Eight, something like that. Six. However many seasons this went on. And this was before you could binge them on Netflix. So you had to just go wait on them. Uh, and at the end, everybody's waiting to see how are they possibly going to clear all of this up. Guess what? They didn't. They surely did not. Uh, and you can go back, though, and you can continue to watch episodes, and you can find things you missed trying to sort out the ending. And you might even change some things you thought you had going on in your head because you went back and watched and now you're like, oh, I thought that was that, but no, it's that. And, 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 and you're still working on the ending and it can be exciting. I mean, it did, I didn't hate it. It can be exciting, but it also be maddening for some people. My wife is glaring at me back there because even so many years later, she's still bitter about it. Uh, it's maddening because we want closure. We, we need, we need closure. We need like everything to fit perfectly. We need loose ends removed and we need the box to be square and we need the top to shut. And we tend to treat God the same way. Tend to treat God the same way. It's like a train track. All right? Where you have two rails and they're going off into the distance and you see them and you start running towards them to try to see which rail it is that finally overtakes the other rail. Because in the distance they look like they come together, right? And surely it can, one of them overtakes the other. But the more you run, the more you realize, no, they're both there. So you might as well stop driving yourself crazy and enjoy the train. Get get on the ride. Understanding this is not the issue. Acceptance of it is the issue. And I'll, I'll come around a little more, but let's get another one. Chosen. Another cuss word. Chosen. But let me ask you this. What if the man you love, ladies, came to you and said, uh, you know, we've been dating a long time, gets on one knee. And says, I choose all women, and that includes you. You marrying that dude or what? I mean, jump on that, right? He's choosing all women. That's you too, right? That's you too. Or, or what if, what if he said, you know what? Actually, I choose all people. I don't want to be discriminant, man. You never know when it might be a woman, might not be a woman, whatever. I don't care. I choose all people, but that does include you, sweetheart. So you too. Or it'll be real weird. I choose all the creation, including you, you know, whatever. But that's not the case. The person says, of all of creation, of all of the people on the planet, of every woman I've ever met or ever will know, I choose you. Is that horrible? Do you look at him and go, what a jerk you are? How mean. How awful, how bitter. How could you ignore so many other people? No, you say I love you. 
you, you say, I, I love you. Chosen here is connected to that before the foundations of the world. I'm not even going to have to dig into that, but let me tell you what Spurgeon said, one of the most famous preachers of all time, and is great. It's just one simple statement, but it says it all. God certainly must have chosen me before I came into this world because he would have never done so afterwards. <laughs> you know, that is perfect. That really says it all. They got to give nothing more to that. But imagine what he's saying. He looked ahead and he loved you before you were even birthed. He looked ahead and he loved you before your grandparents were birthed. Why does that upset us? Why can't you just say, God, I love you. Thank you. Holy, set apart, blameless here. Without Blameless means without blemish. How is it possible that you could be without blame? Because Christ was made to blame for you. That's what 1 Corinthians 5.21 says. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. You exchanged. He took on your sin. You took on his righteousness. And he nailed your sin to a cross and buried it in the dirt. And we can stand before him or in his presence, in the presence of God the Father. Because we are in Christ, not just in heaven, right now. Not just when you die, you can stand before God. We say that, well, what's, what's God going to say when, you know, what's Jesus going to say to let you into heaven? Or what's God going to say when you stand before him? Uh, that's, he ain't going to say nothing. That's already dealt with. Roman, what, what is it? Romans 8, 1. I said it before. There is therefore now, Right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's what he said over and over. You are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, it's paid for. There's nothing left, man. There's there's nothing left for God to do but welcome you home. It's settled. I'm not saying that. The Word's saying that. Again, it's something he already accomplished for you in Christ. Now, I know, I know, but yeah, but you don't know the sin I still struggle with. I know I don't, but I know the sin I still struggle with. I'm a pastor. You think I'm sinless? No, sir. I get mad. I sin. I do things. I I have thoughts in my head that I'm like, how can that still be there? How can I still wrestle with that? How could that come back into my head? How how could this happen? Why did that happen? I struggle with it, too. We all struggle with sin. I'm not talking about being sinless. It says blameless before him doesn't say blameless before Coach Bradford over here. It don't say blameless before Cameron. It says blameless before him. In in God, he sees a son or a daughter. That's all. Now, it may mean he needs to discipline his son or daughter. It might mean you are being disobedient and he needs to handle that. But you're not condemned for your sin. Because Jesus paid for that. And if he stands up, if Satan were to come up and say, yo, Father, yo, Father God, you know what John did? Let me tell you what John did, Mr. Christian John. Let me tell you what John did this week. Jesus says, I, I took care of that. Dad is done. I already took care of that. And you say, well, he, he hadn't done it yet. It was taken care of before the foundation of the world. That what we just looked at? This was God's plan from the beginning. It was his start. Why, why, why? That's the word that just blows my mind with all this. Why, why? The two most important words in this whole passage 
that are overlooked and nobody talks about it. Everybody jumps to right to predestination, right to whatever. The bullseye in the middle of this. And part of it is because we put a period there and a verse number in a very strange place. In love. Everything you just read is an act of God's love. He loved you beforehand. You know, I wrote this out, but I'm going to read it to you um, just because I want my thoughts to be clear. And um, so, so let, let me read. This is not an article. This is made up. I made it up. Full disclosure. But take yourself here with me for just a minute. Imagine a little girl in Somalia. Her father is part of a gang that's battling for control of the country, and her mom is a junkie who doesn't even remember being pregnant. She's abandoned on the street as a baby. A nearby woman sees and takes the little baby girl to a state-run orphanage. It's run by a government that's corrupt and under siege from the gangs. But somehow she survives and starts to grow, struggling every day to survive. The other children are horrible to her and to each other. The employees abuse all of them. The food is horrible, and it's only enough to stay alive. Her bed's covered in bugs, and there's no pillow. Bugs circle the only light in the bedroom where she shares everything she has with dozens of other children of all ages. Meanwhile, she has no idea but thousands of miles away, a very wealthy man and woman have broken, with a broken heart are searching to fill it with a little girl. They love the Lord, and they've been praying and asking him for a daughter. They've been shown a picture of this little African girl, and their hearts warm immediately. They are instantly in love with her before they even meet her. She has no idea. They begin steps to make her a part of their family, but the cost is great. But they pay every penny. They go to visit her, but she doesn't understand yet that one day they'll come back and they'll take her home. When that day comes, she's given a new name. She's overwhelmed with joy. She's got fears, yes, but at last she has value to someone. She's important. She's loved. She's part of a family. And it was from nothing she had done. It was fully unconditional it was predetermined and executed before she ever knew it was happening she now has a new name a new family and a new identity and no matter what comes next her destiny has changed that's what it means to be unconditionally adopted that's what it means to be predestined for adoption it is a beautiful thing if you recognize that you're the little girl. I'm not going to ignore a few things. i got just a second longer. I'm done here. But I'm not going to ignore the obvious hard questions. I'm not going to cover them all. We don't have time. But there's lots of them. Where does my free will work into this? Um, regardless of where your free will works in, what Paul is talking about right here is adoption. That's what he said. Predestined for adoption. Adoption is what he's talking about. Adoption is unconditional, no doubt. I just made that point. And he says either way, it's according to the purpose of his will, not yours. So do you have free will? That's beside the point for what he's talking about right here. Okay, well, I'm not a robot. No. I love that argument, by the way. 
No, but wouldn't you want to be? Do you trust that everything God does is the best decision? Wouldn't the best thing possible be that you were God's robot? And that he He prevented you from all of the stupid decisions that you did in your name and just made every decision for you correctly. I don't understand why that is a bad thing. I know I, I do, but I don't. Um, and like I said, there's no time. I know there's a lot of questions, but remember, this has been battled for millennia. You can come and talk to me. I'll be happy to talk to you. I'm not hiding from it all. But I will say God answered this this way when it got really heavy. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, you are not going to wrap your mind around his mind because it is infinitely higher than yours. And that's a good thing. That is a great thing. Some say it's like a coin with different sides or a battery with opposite poles. Um, let me leave you with this. Uh, this is probably my favorite illustration. So just to try to put your head around this, uh, probably my favorite illustration is attempting to reconcile free will, man's responsibility, and God's sovereignty in all of this is C.S. Lewis. He said, I think it was him, he said, the entrance to God's kingdom is like a door at the end of a narrow path. It has an inscription written above it that says, all who choose may enter. And many will say, I'm not going in there. Everyone's going over here. I mean, the path is much wider this way. You see how narrow that is over there? I'm not going down. I'm not going over there. Obviously, if the, if the masses are going this way, the party's this way. Why would I want to go that way? Why should I go in there? But others are going to realize their need for a salvation. They're going to realize their need for God's kingdom. And they're going to open that door and they're going to walk in to that door that says, all who choose may enter. And when they come in, on the inside of the door, above it, there's an inscription written that says, Welcome you, chosen before the foundation of the world. That's a beautiful way to see it. All who choose may enter. Come on in. When you come in, you're going to find, welcome you who were chosen before the foundation of the world. So, Unconditional adoption. Here's the question. Do you want to know if you were chosen? Do you want to know if you're up for adoption? Whatever. If you want to know that, it's easy. Reach for the door. Reach for the door. It's, it's not complicated at all. Romans 10, 13. I put, I want, I put it up because I want you to see it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who? Huh? Go ahead. You can say it. Who? Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, am I chosen to be saved? Am I predestined to be saved? Am I whatever to be saved? I mean, look, quit, quit. Just call on the name of the Lord. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you better know the name you're calling on. And we've talked about that, about Christ. But that's, it, it is available to anyone. And if you're a Christian, listen, and I'm finishing with this. It's time to stop seeing the Bible as something to argue about, okay? Instead, it needs to be begin with you considering the fact that he patiently waited for you. If you're a Christian, he waited for you to adopt you. Why? 
to the praise of his glorious grace. Because of grace. Does grace make you praise? It should. It breaks me down fairly regularly. Why me, Lord? Why me? I'm not haunted by my past, but I'm reminded. Why me? That should change everything about the way you live if you're a Christian. Everything. Stand up with me, and and we're going to pray and um, really quickly and sing another song, and then we'll be done. And I'm serious. I know you're going to have questions, and if you do, that's fine. You can come find me afterwards, and I will give you no answers. And I'm kidding. I'll, I'll, we can talk about it. Um, but let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. I think oftentimes on passages like this, you could have just left it out. Uh, we didn't have to know the behind the scenes. But the amazing thing is that you want us to know the behind the scenes because you want us to know you loved us that long. I can't imagine knowing that Jesus, Jesus knowing that taking the steps of creating the world was going to lead him to a cross to save it. And he did that. And he waited on me. Waited on me. Lord, you're waiting on people in this room. You haven't returned. It's not over, so you're waiting. And I don't know who's given their life to you. I don't know who, who, I don't know that everyone in this room is called on the name of the Lord, but Lord, I pray they would today. Recognize that we're saved by grace only because there's nothing I can do to get me there. Recognize that your cross paid for it all. Lord, thank you so much for that. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.